You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Sean and Rick. Sean is sexy, and Rick is not Irish. We are here today <laughs> to talk to you about opportunity cost. You know, when you choose to do one thing, and it eliminates you from the ability to do something else, that is called the cost of the opportunity that you took. So if I have $100,000 and I spend it on PlayStation 5 and every game I want, then the cost of that is that I cannot use that money as a down payment for a house because it's gone. I suppose opportunity cost even applies to this podcast because when we do a podcast on opportunity costs, we cannot do a podcast on another topic. That's meta. Oh, like, uh, not this again. That sounds uh, fun. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not. See, opportunity costs though are rigged. It's rigged by the person who supplies the data. Because an opportunity cost could be anything, like literally anything. So you yeah. could say like, oh well, you know, we did this, so now we can't do that. Well, we yeah, we can also not fly to the moon and you know mm-hmm. shoot for the stars. Exactly. And all that fun stuff. So, so it's it, it kind of I'm, the word cost, I think, really is so important because, you know, a lot of the time when you do one thing like, oh, I'm going to eat a cheeseburger instead of a salad or whatever. I mean, the, the there's no short term cost to that. It's like after you eat your salad, you can just buy a cheeseburger and then you can have both. Right. So you're right. There really is. I mean, it can't be applied to every single situation unless you want to get so nuanced, you know, that it just becomes absurd. So yeah, I guess I guess you're 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 kind of right about that. So yeah, so I'm curious to see how you guys are gonna put this together because I'm He's, I'm I'm your uh, naysayer, Rick. I'm Twitter. Yes, <laughs> devil's advocate, Rick here. <laughs> I'm gonna opportunity cost your opportunity cost. <laughs> I think it really has to do with the law of identity. You know, a equals a, and a does not equal not a. It's basically what we're talking about. If you do one thing, you cannot do the other thing. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. So it's it's, it's, so are we talking about time opportunity costs? Are we talking about financial opportunity costs? What's going on in this, today's podcast? So there's a little bit of both, really. I think it's about priorities and how and how to work out what you should focus on and recognize that by focusing on that, you cannot do other things. So call that what you will. <laughs> now, there is uh, such a thing that really matters in opportunity costs. When we're talking about opportunity costs, we're so let's say there are two roads. And there's a fork in uh, uh, the road that you're traveling on that leads to both of these roads. Um, one goes left and one goes right. You cannot go both directions. What I'm talking about when I reference mutual exclusivity is that if you do one thing, you it excludes the other option. So, for example, just by doing this podcast, I can't really focus on anything else. So I can't really you know, be a dad. I can't work for... Other clients, I have to basically devote myself fully to this podcast. So it's an hour of time. It's uh, whatever. It applies to projects, to crowdfunding, because if you use Kickstarter, you can't use GameFound for that project, right? Certainly not at the same time. You know, you you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice w- uh, with your pledge manager. You have to make a choice with your manufacturer. You have to make a choice with your uh, shipping situation. And if you're going to ship to the EU or, or you know, and deal with the VAT nightmare. There are costs to those choices that you make. And that's really where this 
principle matters a lot. And I think we should have some fun with this one. And Rick, your job is to try to punch holes in all the things we say. Well, that's going to be just, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This topic came up because I wanted to work out the opportunity cost of doing this podcast because we were just working out how long it takes to record it, how long it takes to cut it. And is it worthwhile? Should we uh, increase the frequency of our podcast or should we decrease the frequency of our podcast? What should we do around that? So those are the questions I, I was asking. Yeah, go ahead, share your data. It's curious, like what, the original data that you shared, because we had some conversation about the numbers. Yeah, there's debates whether I, I was using the right metrics, but I always figured overshoot and then you can always backpedal. <laughs> so we, we usually record for about one and a half hours. So that's when you consider that's one and a half hours of my time, Rick's time, and Andrew's time, it's four and a half hours. And then it generally takes about two and a half hours to cut and post and export and upload the podcast. That includes doing the show notes and everything else. That So altogether, it's seven hours a week of collectively our time together. So as a company, Next Level Web or Crowdfunding Nerds, it takes about seven hours a week for us to get a single podcast out. So that's that's just the time. And then what about the other you know, services that we have to pay in order to do the podcast? So we have to pay for the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite just to edit the podcast and process it. And, and we also have other software like Zencaster that we use. So I worked out that if we, if we took like our company fee, because in my mind I was thinking, well, if we're doing the podcast, it means we're not serving a client. And if we're not serving a client, therefore we're not being paid a, like a rate that we get our client. So I worked out that it costs about $721 a week to produce one episode. And that was contested by Asa Rick. <laughs> so, what was your response, Rick? Well, first of all, he was using uh, he was using um, our uh, posted rates as opposed to actual costs. It wasn't really a cost; it was more of a profit. But the only way to get that profit is if you had to make that. See, you're talking about making the choice between A or B. But usually, when we do these podcasts, it's either do the podcast or do something else. But you're not. A lot of times it's not directly making that profit from that client. So like if we had like a, a situation, for example, you know, like earlier today, <laughs> Andrew tried to do a podcast on his phone and failed miserably. So yeah, uh, we had to wait two hours. It's the I, uh, <laughs> so that was that was one one right there where you, it was either A or B. Either we, we Sean and I did the podcast by ourselves, which would have been like probably a, a, an argument fight match. <laughs> Or um, we waited for we waited for Andrew to jump in. <laughs> my name is Voice of Reason, Andrew Lowen. So uh, yeah, Andrew, that's my Andrew's title. the ref. Andrew's the ref in this uh, this contest. So that that would be you know an opportunity cost right there, and that was a choice we had to make. But right now we're just doing it. We don't really have another like. There's no other like emergency, urgent need of something that needs to get done right now at the same time as the podcast. So I feel that the the profitability is not the factor in the opportunity cost because we don't have that as need right now, as opposed mm-hmm. to the cost of our time. It makes more sense, which cut the numbers way, 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 way down. And uh, I didn't think it was too high of a, a, a budget. Yeah. You know, as far as numbers go, we try to be worth $100 an hour as, as an agency. Just when we do a thing for one hour or whatever, uh, we try to be worth 100 Now, we always um, we try to guarantee our our numbers. So if we quote somebody something and we end up being wrong, 
then it's not that we're going to charge that person more. It's actually that we're going to spend more hours and, and not charge more. So our in ideal circumstances, we would be worth $100 an hour. But in actuality, we, you know, the, the more effective rate, you know, it varies between, you know, 60 and 75 an hour, uh, just because of the amount of work that we do in order to to get the results. You know, sometimes you just have to have to do more things in order to get results. You know, I was I was taught by one of my uh, mentors that you want to try to be worth three times what your wage is. If you can do that, then the, um, you know, generate three times as much revenue as the wage that, that you make. And uh, by doing that, it, it helps the company thrive. And so that's why, you know, $100 an hour, if we work one hour, you know, what, if one of us works one hour, I mean, that's, that's achieving that goal, but um, there's some wiggle room in there. You know, if a company doesn't make at least two to one, then they will not be in business for very long, or they won't have that employee for very long. And uh, that's just kind of the way that that it it seems to work out. So most of the time, companies that um, stay in business say they make between two and three times what their hourly costs are, and uh, that you know, of course, there's more than just the labor uh, hours. You know, it's it's the co- the other costs of things. Um, there's a payroll. You know, so like whatever an hourly rate is, it's like twenty five percent more for benefits and that and that's why i use the higher rate because i also didn't i didn't include everything else like electricity between all of us internet tax food rent equipment wear and tear so those are all things you have to factor Mm -hmm. in as well if you want to say well you know this is how much it actually costs to produce an episode i i feed myself whether i work or not so (laughs) yeah and actually that's that's a good point you know (laughs) um, electricity no matter what my lights are on my computer's always on I don't know. Some right. of those so costs, certain share, shared costs, I don't think should be part of an opportunity cost. <laughs> right. And that's actually a really good point because, uh, you know, Sean, you mentioned the Adobe creative suite. Um, you know, I, if you use more than two Adobe programs like Photoshop and illustrator, if you use anything more then you might as well just have the creative suite and because you're going to save, um, all over, a buying a third program by itself. And so, I uh, do see some of those costs I shared, and it kind of is a, an important thing when you're looking at opportunity costs, which of those things are kind of shared. You know, for example, we would have probably uh, have our computers on and doing something else or whatever. So certain and, you know, there are certain things that are really kind of like splitting hairs. You know, how much how much electricity, what is the actual electricity cost of my computer for an hour and a half or whatever, right? And um, so I think that the... Um, so there's the the penny and the pound, right? That penny wise, pound foolish. We want to we make sure that the the big things are really what we hone in on and focus in on. So for example, that seven hours, that's actually a pretty significant amount of time, right? Between the three of us. And that's every single week. So we're um, blocking out however much time, you know, we're hoping that there's a good return and all of that and that it's worthwhile. And what do we judge what do we use to judge that this is worthwhile versus, you know, something else or just simply, I mean, one of the opportunity uh, or the op, the options, you know, they're really opportunities. You know, we can use that word because it's opportunity cost. So one opportunity that a lot of people really don't think about is just not doing it. Like why not sleep for an extra hour and a half 
you know, or something like that. Watch Netflix for an hour and a half, just uh, not work for an hour and a half. I mean, that is an option. That's totally an option. And I think that, um, you know, relating it to, to games and to crowdfunding, one option that your backer, you know, your prospective backer has is just to not spend any money. So when the backer is looking at your project, they're like, hey, I could get this thing. They could obviously spend that money on something else instead, or there is another option, which is to not get anything at all. So you have to make a compelling case for your product, right? Uh, but from a backer perspective, their opportunity is, you know, that costs them something else is like, if I buy, if I back this, then I cannot back that, right? Assuming that they have a limited amount of disposable income and they're not like a, a Saudi um oil, you know, oil prints or whatever they are, you know, they have, that's a finite resource. And when they spend it on one thing, they can't spend it on another. So, but from the, the publisher side or the creator side, what are some opportunity costs that matter? Your crowdfunding platform, which publishing platform or funding platform are you going to use? Kickstarter, GameFound. There's a couple of smaller ones out there. I I heard about, Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's, Game on tabletop. There's now, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Indiegogo. Even the Game Crafter has their own crowdfunding system. That's true. So you know that for me, that used to be a lot easier of a question six months ago than hey, Kickstarter. It is today. Boop, done. <laughs> right. It was like Kickstarter dominates and nobody else the, uh, dominates. So use the 800 pound gorilla. But now the 800 pound gorilla is like a 400 pound gorilla, and there's a 300 pound gorilla that's like bulking up so that they can one V one eventually named game. A lot of gorilla there. Yeah, it is. A lot of the time people want to get to Kickstarter as soon as their game is ready. And I, I totally understand when the product is. So this is a programmer's mindset. You would think that when the product is ready, that you should go to, you know, your crowdfunding platform to Kickstarter or, or whatever. But that's not necessarily always true because if you don't have an audience, if you don't have a crowd, you will likely not fund. So part of the product is the, we'll, we'll call them the alpha users. You know, you need an initial crowd. And if, if you don't have that, you've not proven your product. So why would others that are looking and are perspective, why would they want the thing that's not proven over something else that is, you know, it, it's like, Hey, I, there are lots of reviewers and lots of people that are backing this other product that show me, Hey, it's made 800% of its goal. I might as well jump in on that versus your product, which is at 5% of its goal and just launched. Right. So people launch all the time when their product is ready and it might be a really awesome game. You're not ready if you don't have a crowd. Right. And so when people launch and they fail and they learn the hard way that, you know, oh, my product wasn't wasn't accepted by the market, you kind of have to diagnose why. And a lot of the time, it's just really hard to figure out that you didn't have the crowd, that you have a great product, but you don't have the crowd. You know, why don't people like my product, you know, is, is the first thing people will think. And in actuality, you might have a really great product that just needs needed more of a boost in the beginning. So I think that, you know, really maybe, you know, I wanted to talk about 
the mistakes that creators make in regard to opportunity and the cost thereof, the one of the biggest ones is just failing to bring a crowd. If you fail to create a crowd, the opportunity is there before you launch. But when you, I mean, that takes work. And um, if you want to launch earlier and you know, you want to launch when your product is quote unquote ready, but you didn't do the marketing work, you're going, I mean, it's, it costs you, you know, it might be okay, but um, that's the risk you take, right? So if a creator comes up to you um, and says, okay, I got my Kickstarter, we're going, we're going, my product is going live on Kickstarter next month. What would some things that you would ask them before or, or uh, find out about before, you know, they do their launch, they're going to do their launch, you know, the following month. Is there certain things, certain, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Certain statistics or certain uh, milestones they should reach before, um, like specifically before they, they do that, that launch. I guess the first, like the thing that I want to understand as a marketer is, you know, I, I definitely want to know about the actual product and that kind of thing. I want to learn who the game will appeal to and how to market it, uh, what is attractive about it and that sort of thing. But to answer your question more directly, I want to know in essence, why they are launching next month, why they think it's ready to launch next month. And I want them to make it like to prove that to me, you know, I won't say it like that, but I want to know that you have a crowd that you're prepared, that you've figured out your manufacturing numbers and your shipping estimates and that you're ready or that you will be ready by the time you launch. And, you know, a lot of the time people come to us and, and they say, you know, I'm ready to go to Kickstarter and we're launching on this date. And I asked them, so, you know, you have uh, an email list and they're like, give me their email list of like 36 people. And it's like, I don't, I, I don't think you're ready at all. You know, you need to delay your launch is a lot of the advice that we give. You know? Yeah. And I think an- another one um, is we have a convers- conversation about budget, don't we? Because when we talk about opportunity cost, it sort of comes down to, you know, if you've got a, a limited budget, you're going to focus that way. You're going to get the best results. So if you've got a limited budget, we're probably just going to focus on Facebook ads. We're not going to focus on Facebook ads and Google ads and Reddit ads and anything else. Working geek. Yeah, working geek and those types of yeah. things. So again, that limits your opportunity and where you can reach people on your on your ad spend. So that's, that's probably another area of opportunity cost where you just have to say, well, if I'm advertising here, I'm not advertising on another platform. If you come to us and you're like, Hey, I'm ready to go. The cost is that we probably won't, won't take you on at all. Um, as, as a marketing agency, which might be okay. might be something that you're willing to, uh, forego. Um, but the, but in, in relation to what, what you're saying, Sean, it's, it's about where you spend your money. And I think that's actually probably the, the second major area that really, really matters for a creator is how, okay, so you have this budget, the budget, you know, you work your, let's say a lot of, a lot of our clients will work a full-time job and they have their first project. It's a game that they've been working on for like the last couple of years and they're really passionate about it and it's their baby. And they have been saving up to start a board game publishing company and they are, um, ready to go and they'll spend as much as they can spend because they've, they've saved up money, um, over, you know, whatever, whatever it is, several months, several years. 
and they're or they're they're even willing to jump into their credit card if necessary because they have this dream to get this project off the ground. The amount of money that they come to us with is always limited, right? It, it, there, I, there are some times where people are like, I'll spend $100 million on this. I don't even care. I just want it to get out there and be huge. There are people that come to us and say that, you know, within reason, of course. I mean, they're not going to sell their house and all that they have to see this game, you know, become huge, but they they will spend significant amounts of money. Now there, there are more commonly, we have people that come to us with like, Hey, how much does it cost? I don't really know and ready to spend, but I just, you know, need to know so that I can budget in general. Like if you're going to, if you're going to go with us with, with the ad spend and everything, you're going to look at like $3,200 on, on up is probably the entirety of what you would spend uh, at least the, uh, to start over like several months. Right. So like three months, uh, you know, the ad spend and the, the monthly management and whatever, depending on what services you get. But so let's just say it's, uh, like $4,000 that you're going to spend. Um, you have to think about maybe it's better to do it yourself. Maybe you should pay us or pay another marketing company. That's a big chunk of money that you could maybe, you know, dumping all $4,000 into Facebook ads sounds like a lot better of a choice sometimes than putting half of that into Facebook ads and put and paying a marketing company to manage, you know, your, your two, your $2,000, you know, paying your marketing company 2000 to manage, uh, you know, half of the spend, right. Assuming you have a budget of 4,000 it's that's, that's, I think a real decision that, that people need to make. And I think well. the, the danger is if you do that, you have to then monitor your own ads and that takes a lot of energy mm -hmm. and time. And if you're doing that, you're not doing something else, which we would try and encourage people to engage their community. So as through these ads, as your community builds, you then engage that community yourself. And that's a better use of your time. So I think that, that's, that's well, that's, also, you know, what if, what if somebody spends a thousand bucks and then they're like, I'm not good at this. Yeah. They've got $3,000 left. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Going to pay the uh, marketing company $2,000 to manage $1,000 of ad spend now? Or, you know, what are you going to do, right? It's pretty yeah. scary. You know, for somebody cry. that has a limited budget, that's, you're really spending and it's costing the opportunity to work with a marketing company at that point. You kind of have to roll with the punches or you have to spend more money. You have to reach deeper into your pocket to correct the mistake or, you know, to write your, yourself. <laughs> But I totally agree with you, Sean, about the, um, you know, how do you, how you spend your time, you know, also your mental capital, like you only have so much mental energy, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at your ads and I mean, I can attest personally from my own campaign, I'm a marketing person, but I was having a really hard time with my own ads during my campaign. And I'm so thankful for Sean uh, to, that you were on it because I was having a really hard time managing all of those things. And as a professional marketing nerd that looks at Facebook ads every day, I just, I would look at my ads and I would be like, I don't know what to write <laughs> and sit there for like 10 minutes and think and get nowhere and uh, be like, Sean, can you help? And uh, thankfully you. Yeah. Last, last time I checked your pledge manager ads are doing pretty well. Yeah. We make like three sales every day for 20 bucks. Yeah. It's really cool. I just put, I put, I put in like nice. the demon slaying board game. That seems to be doing well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted, I really want to use the line pray and slay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like hack and slash. 
Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I worked really hard, you know, with my first project deliverance to develop a community that was thriving. And I, I kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but how much time was required to manage each one of those communities. Like when you add them all together, you know, I've got discord, my Facebook group, the board game geek. Um, eventually of course the Kickstarter, uh, comment section and messages, which kind of count as two. And then it's, you know, just direct messages and other things like that. I have people emailing me and that kind of thing. So all of that correspondence, it required a lot of time. You know, when I was dealing with my project, you know, every single day during the live Kickstarter, especially, and also the buildup really like the two months, three months before I launched and the live campaign, the month of the live campaign, that was like super duper crunch time. I had to be involved in graphic my, you know, with my graphic designer, I had to craft my page. I did a lot of work myself in graphic design to craft it and language to, you know, talk about what it was and how, how am I going to introduce this to my people? And then also, you know, and, and strangers, and then, you know, just make sure that looked good and to make sure that my ads were targeted correctly and that it, they spoke properly and that my landing page had consistent messaging and then to manage all of my communities and spend the time doing that. I actually felt quite inundated with deliverance and I almost like I didn't know who heard what and you know what message was important to give the new people and what message was important to give the veterans. I was I got quite jumbled in a way you know because of all of you know all of those things that I just mentioned they kind of felt like it all kind of mixed together in a way that made me as the adage goes unable to see the forest through the trees it's like I was too close to it to actually effectively market it and to think you know put myself in the in the in the shoes of a consumer that was looking at my product as something that I could you know that they might be interested in and so you know, I, I was real. I was actually very thankful that I could hand it off. And I thought that I was actually going to hand it off myself. And I'm, uh, it was, I, I actually look at it as a mistake that I made not to involve Sean earlier, you know, or just basically the marketing agency. I, I thought, Oh, I'll do this one myself. And nope, it was a bad idea. You know? <laughs> and I just think that, you know, I had a lot of really great ads. I was able to manage ads myself before that. Um, I really wanted to manage ads myself because it, kind of helped to teach me who the right people were, what messaging resonated with people. And that did help quite a lot. I think that, you know, as a creator, you should definitely know, you should have an idea of what your audience wants to hear, right? And uh, you, if you can communicate that to your marketing team, that will really help. But um, it's something that really became difficult. I found myself just enabling the old ads that were tried and true instead of creating, you know, coming up with new creative ad text that, uh, you know, from my brain, I just wasn't able to, I didn't have the bandwidth, you know? And so I definitely next time, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to get, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I run marketing company. So I'll get my team on it a lot earlier and well, I'm sure we'll have a much more effective campaign next time. Yeah. It's, I think it's the same idea with musicians. So a lot of musicians, they will get someone else to mix and master their tracks because I suppose they're so familiar with the sounds that you just, you just become so accustomed to it. You don't actually hear, you can't, you can't think objectively when listening, listening to it. So that's why you, you, you employ like a studio to go in and actually mix and master audio tracks 
because they can hear things that maybe you're just you can't hear anymore because you're so used to hear, hearing it <laughs> yeah but one we had we recently had a client um contact us saying that you know they work a, a full-time job and they recognize the importance of community engagement but they just can't invest the time and they reached out to us and they asked if we offered a service where we could do some form of community engagement and currently the the closest thing we, we do is email marketing so we'll send out you know emails uh, to for people and direct them to different things what i suggested to him if his if his bandwidth was limited was to try to set a precedent for his audience so that they know that he could be contacted at a certain time so one thing i suggested was maybe doing a, a monthly uh, or a weekly ask me anything so that people know that on fridays you know he answers questions for 15 minutes on a live stream and that's where they know where they can get answers to their questions and that way you don't have to check throughout the week about messages or correspondence you just do it all at one sitting so that, that might be a solution but do you think that we ever would offer social media services where i don't know let's say we craft five engaging posts a week and we just try manage people's facebook groups essentially and try and get them uh, get people talking about the game so historically i've done that before and it's totally possible the challenge is that it's uh really tough because you kind of have to become either either you create posts that are very surface level not very flavorful and diverse things that i i kind of feel like don't really move the needle i mean there are some basic things like what are you excited about most you know or whatever but in order to become an expert enough such that you can really engage someone else's crowd i think you kind of have to in a way become an expert in their product you know like you have to you have to know a lot about their product and I think that it's very possible. I mean, you can, but you just can't really fake it for very long. I, we don't offer that as a service currently. It doesn't, I guess we, we could always be open to doing something like that. But um, what I find is that the investment that somebody will put in for the value that they'll get out is always been a concern of mine. You know, if we're charging like, $500 a month. I don't know what we would charge for, for, you know, like five posts, like one post a day. But if we were to charge for that, I would want, you know, it's really nice when you do Facebook ads and email marketing and stuff, you can see the results that it's like, oh, you, you, you get, you know, $2 or $3 per email subscriber. And, you know, I, we believe that 10% or more of those people are going to convert into backers on day one. I mean, those are proven time and time again, but, you know, those numbers I can really hone in on, you know, if the system is working, then I know that those numbers are what you're going to get, you know, unless something else crazy happens. Uh, but the, like the idea behind social media posting, it's not like directly linked to revenue generated. It's more like I made the posts and that's the key performance indicator is like you made the, you did the, you did the work. If people engage or not, that's. You know, you want to try to, you know, get people to engage. So you want to do a good job, but there's only, I mean, there's, I, I really feel like the best person to do it is the creator of the game um, because they can share a whole lot more than just simply like a status you know, update. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They can do a whole lot more. And then uh, 
you're going to you're going to want that creator to answer questions like if you do post something that's really cool let's say we get a load of new art from the creator to share and then we post like one or two art pieces a week in addition to like asking questions and other things like that they might ask questions about the art and then what will you do you know the creator has to be the guy mm. or the or gal to answer those those comments or to respond to those comments if you if you look at your sister as an example who has a huge social media following with her business doing hairstyling i don't see her outsourcing that she kind of has to be the one <laughs> talking to people she's built her entire brand around that so you know i don't ever think she'll ever get to a position where she be able to like offboard yep that maybe some stuff she could but i think she will always have to be the one sort of spearheading that you know it's interesting because effort. There's this, uh, you know, talking about opportunity costs, there's a, a way that you can build your business. And you look at a guy like uh, Jamie Stegmeyer and his business. He has a pretty decent sized board gaming business. It is very self-sustaining. I mean, he's, uh, I just bought Wingspan this week. I just supported his business. So he's got a good business that is really built around him. So he is the the linchpin in, in a way, just like my sister, who is uh, the centerpiece of her business that's doing very well, which is like a hair and education business. She's the queen of Instagram. We're going to get her on here and uh, and interview her. She is amazing with, with marketing and talking to her people. You know, you look at Jamie Stegmeier as an example that a lot of, a lot of others might find very relevant uh, that listen to this podcast. And the business is a lot about Jamie, even though like the the retailers and the distributors and that kind of thing, maybe they deal with somebody else inside Jamie's company. I know that he has more than himself working there now. And it, it could be that he's more like the front person, right? And this is something that I see as a successful strategy as a small publisher um, is for you to be the front person. It's, it's a sacrifice that you have to make because your life in a way is going to be more public um, your presence is going to be more desired. And, you know, in many cases, I, I think I've shared this before, you know, with Next Level Web, I had a lot of people, you know, and even even still, you know, hosting this podcast uh, has really helped because people get to hear your voices, Rick and Sean. So they're, they're more trusting of you guys, you know, but uh, it used to be that I was the one that everybody wanted to talk to. And it, it was quite challenging changing the business model to something where people felt comfortable working with anyone else other than me, right? Because it used to just be me and that's it. Uh, the, you know, this is a long time ago. And um, I think that it can be the same in a board game business where, you know, you, you can be like Modifius, for example. People know Modifius. They know that Modifius does, you know, the 2D20 RPG series, the Fallout uh, miniatures game, the Elder Scrolls miniatures game, Skyrim, other things like that. But whenever they think of those games, they think of Modifius. They don't think of Chris Birch, who's the, the owner and, you know, the CEO of the company. And that's a choice that, that they made. Maybe in the past it, you know, it was Chris's company and, you know, oh yeah, Chris makes an RPG or whatever, but now it's Modifius makes the RPG. Stonemeyer Games is always Jamie Stegmeyer, even though he's not the only person in there. Right. So I guess it's maybe a function of which route you want to go. I think in, in some ways, just that that personal connection that a person has with uh, with their audience, it can be very meaningful, and that's kind of the way that I've chosen to go with my company. You know, we've made Deliverance, but it's very much 
about Andrew being as much a fanboy of the product as the fans and engaging with the fans like that. So it's not my company being like, oh, we're doing this. It's like Andrew personally is doing this and, you know, you want to support a company, but also you really like what Andrew's doing. So when it comes to your, your crowdfunding event, the key is to work out what are you good at? What can, what can you only do? And then what can you delegate? And sometimes you have to spend money to make money, right? Like mm -hmm. you could cut your own grass, might take two hours, but then to do that, you might have to take a shorter day at work mm -hmm. and then you have to work out, well, that, I'd actually be saving money <laughs> if I chose to work my regular job and paid someone else to cut my grass. And that's sort of the same mentality you have to have when approaching your Kickstarter. It might actually be cheaper for you to pay someone to do a certain service mm -hmm. or which then affords you the opportunity to work on something else. And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking more about priorities. So Richard, what do you think about all of this? Have, have we persuaded you? And some factors, you know, it does, you know, like you said, there are some points. Um, it, it comes, it comes to a few things. Like, for example, I agree with the social media part. Um, when you're representing your own brand, it's very hard to have someone else represent your brand without you supplying all the information needed to represent that brand, which in that case, it may take as much effort and power, especially if you're starting in your own, um, on your own to do that. So in some cases it'd be better just to do it yourself. And then of course services, you know, it, I know a lot of people who are starting their, their, their campaigns are, are um, don't have um, as much funds as they want. And there's always a budget budgeting issue um, when it comes to these types of games. And so I can see how difficult it'd be to have uh, someone else uh, to put your trust in someone else to do the marketing for you in some cases. But then of course the, the uh, cost of opportunity would be that you don't know how to do it yourself. So you're paying someone to do it for you and you're going to, they're going to get it done for you. So, I mean, those, those definitely make sense um, at this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny cause I was actually just talking to one of our clients today and he was just asking about our email marketing services and he was basically um, just asking what it, entails and i was just telling him you know there's no sort of magic we just make your emails and we send them to you to review and we send them out and we would do like a resend and it wasn't i was trying to say oh, this is so complicated you can't do it it was more so he could see okay I, I could probably do that myself but i'm so busy myself that i'll just have you do it and <laughs> so that's sort of the conclusion yeah, he our, came to our yeah. services are more like a turnkey service like we actually um now and a lot of people we do certain things certain ways. So there are certain steps we take. We have it. We've done it so many this so many times. We have like a system down, and so we use a certain you know mail responder. We use a certain uh, you know website host. We use a certain build you know builder for the for landing pages. We use certain ways we do the ads, and it's all worked out. And so um, it's not that it's hard. It's just that we've you know we've figured out you know the steps to take and what works and what doesn't work over mm -hmm. it's like it's like ai technology we you know over a course mm -hmm. of hundreds of clients we've had we've learned which <laughs> things work which things don't i know some of our clients when they do on board with us they are concerned because they want to use their own unique systems but that you know that can cause issues on our end because we have a system that works and now we have to tweak it or change right. it or, or it's it's not part of our process time into it. Yeah, yeah to to make it to your process which may slightly benefit you but it's gonna cost like we 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 don't want to charge you extra for making changes 
Um, but sometimes we may have right. to based on, you know, the thing. So we're pretty much like a turnkey in a box system where it's like, okay, you want, you're ready for your pre-marketing. Okay. Here's what, mm-hmm. here's what the players, the plans we have. This is exactly what we do. This is what you'll get. And we stick to that, yep. that program and it works well. So yeah, it's, you, one of my, it's actually wanna... one of my favorite ways to sell stuff is to say like, Hey, here's all of the things. There's no hidden anything. There's no, you know, other than our expertise, there's no secret sauce. These are the things that need to happen. Are you going to do those pieces or which pieces are we going to do? Which pieces are you going to do? And sometimes like, you know, it's not like we hide anything on this podcast. We just say all the things that we think are important. And, you know, like the virtuous cycle, that episode 14, that is the core of what we do. I really like to give people the all the details. And then eventually they're like, hey, you know, I'm going to do it myself for the first project. But because there are so many components to this, a lot of the time people will come back with their second project, third project and say, hey, can you guys take this one? Because I know you guys know how to do it. And you guys gave us good advice and that kind of thing. So it's really, um, for for me, the way that I feel like we incentivize people to use our services is we tell them exactly what is required. Uh, we don't charge for it. And then they decide, do they want to do all of it or do they want to hire us for some of it or, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, so what, what Andrew was actually trying to say was uh, that if you uh, listen to every single episode of our podcast, you, you, you got it. <laughs> It's just a matter of 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 choosing and making an opportunity cost or cho- determining your opportunity cost of whether doing it yourself or relying on us to do it. And that's and that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. If you liked this episode and want to check out or, or you have any questions, uh, we have a great community now on Facebook, but I don't know the name of it because it keeps changing or something like that. Andrew, what's the name of our Facebook group these days? Um, if you search for crowdfunding nerds community, you're going to find it crowdfunding visit nerds the, community, visit the crowdfunding nerds community it is very active right now. A lot of questions, a lot of answers, a lot of cool topics, a lot of things that people are sharing with their experiences on crowdfunding. Check it out. Facebook.com search for crowdfunding nerds community. And besides that, of course, there's always our website and you can always uh, you know to make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast uh, listening app there's lots of them out there and they all do weird different things but uh, they get you to us and uh, we want you all to have a great week and stay nerdy